This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. We expect too much to happen in 10 days or a month and too little to change in a year or a decade. So this philosophy is that try and become 1% better. Try and uh, focus on what you truly care about rather than constantly comparing yourself with the latest social media trend or this, uh, you know, new buzzwords and catchphrases that come out. My guest today is the founder and CEO of Network Capital, one of the largest career intelligence communities globally. Otkarsh Amitabh is also the author of The Seductive Illusion of Hard Work. Welcome to Jamsters Podcast and thanks for doing this. Uh, thank you for inviting me. I love people who are building interesting projects and you're one of them. So the pleasure is mine. Fantastic. I want to go back to a time that I had traveled to in Singapore in 2013. And uh, one of the things that was on my to-do list was visiting INSEAD. Um, and I remember very vividly, the moment I stepped on campus, I was blown away with the infrastructure. What are some of your memories of, uh, you know, studying at uh, INSEAD and uh, getting your MBA from there? So Network Capital is a reflection of a lot of places where I've studied and worked. Uh, INSEAD, Oxford, Wharton, Ashoka. And what's really interesting about INSEAD is how uh, focused on international leadership it is. So the mission of INSEAD is to you know, create or be the business school for a better world. And I think each word near, here in, in this particular mission needs to be unpacked. So in my class, there were people from 100 countries. And I think it's so important to create... Uh, you know, new kinds of educational programs where uh, people from different cultures and backgrounds work with each other and learn. So Network Capital has its genesis uh, during your MBA program? Where, uh, no, I've been thinking about mentorship and career advice and how do people choose careers? How did you, Hardik, decide to do what you want to do? How did I study engineering with the MBA and then, uh, you know, um, deep research? So how does career navigation happen? I've been thinking about it for many, many, many years. And with the benefit of hindsight, I can say that INSEAD did have a huge role to play in it because, uh, you know, top MBA programs just tend to be a lot about peer learning. And I thought, what about if you can translate this peer learning for people who go to top MBA programs, but also people who don't? Everybody cannot afford to go to uh, top programs. Everybody doesn't need to go to top programs. Education is being unbundled as we speak. And I do feel really excited by this uh, uh, disruption that is happening in the space. INSEAD did play a huge role in it. INSEAD is perhaps the ideal representation of a globalized, unbundled education that exists. And I'm very proud to be an alum. Fantastic. So I'm curious to know, Utkarsh, what are the values do you live by? I live by the value of trying to do whatever one can to make other people successful. So I started Network Capital as a passion project. I was working at Microsoft at the time and uh, on nights and weekends, I started building a community, a community of people who wanted to help each other build interesting careers. And uh, I soon realized that this whole space of career is not just interesting to me, but interesting to almost every young professional, every student that I speak to. So, you know, the MBA in me also realized that not only is a huge uh, social opportunity, but it's also a huge business opportunity. 
if you can create a large community, uh, largely of people who want to add specific value to others. And I you know, carved out the mission of Network Capital is to democratize inspiration. And uh, this democratize inspiration is another value that I, I live by. So make others successful, democratize inspiration, and help every person on the build his or her category of one. So let's jump into that bit. What's what's the logic? Uh, what's the idea behind the category of one? And especially when uh, millennials and Gen Z and probably even people who are in the mid career or later stage of the careers, they want to uh, shift gears, move into newer roles, newer opportunities. Um, what does the category of one really entail? Yeah, sure. Look, category of one means that uh, you do something that you are uniquely suited to do working with people. Um, instead of competing with them. Normally, what is, if you look at any educational system, um, or most educational system at INSEAD and at other top MBA programs, most of the time there is not like a bell curve grading. But uh, traditionally, somebody comes first, somebody comes second, somebody comes third. So the underlying message is that in order for me to win, you need to lose. And the other underlying message is that the rules of the quote-unquote ladder are fixed. There is one finite prize at the end of that ladder and everybody needs to aspire for that one prize. And I think that is categorically wrong. Everybody is not good at the same thing. Everybody cannot excel at the same thing. And uh, the education system essentially needs to create a far more of an infinite mindset among students and young professionals instead of the finite mindset. So category of one is this philosophy where you stop competing for a finite price, instead focus on expanding and creating a new normal where uh, people build off of what they truly care about. Like a podcaster tries to become the world's best podcaster because he or she feels passionate about that space. Imagine a kind of a world if LeBron James is taught, uh, like, you know, he's forced to become the best at calculus. And Mahatma Gandhi is asked to do wrestling because that's supposed to be the space. Every person has a superpower and we should do all we can to make sure that uh, the system is right for that superpower to become that career. And I think that underlying philosophy is called category of one. Sure. So I'm, I'm trying to unpack and sort of relate it in, in more of a day-to-day -day tactical level of how it could be implemented. Uh, is it more led by first thought or first led by action because action builds momentum? What are your thoughts on this? What do you think about this? So it's a category of one is a philosophy of doing the little things right in a way that uh, the momentum eventually becomes something uh, that you can reorient and direct to your advantage. So it's shaped by micro actions and it's built over time. And I think that uh, this category of one philosophy is something that every student and every young professional should very carefully consider. Why? Because uh, as we look at the 21st century, as we look at the future of jobs, there will be lots of opportunities for people who are exceptional at something to create a career. I talk about the passion economy in my next book and the passion economy and other kinds of disruptions that are going to happen in the 21st century will be all about uh, looking for new opportunities and 
new ways in which we can, uh, you know, create our own career rather than trying to fit it. You know, just stop it. As Peter Thiel rightly said, competition is for losers. I don't think there's a more appropriate way to look at it. Let people who want to waste their time on competition do so. You go out and build your category of one. So what I'm sensing is that, is it always that you against yourself or you against your former self? And would that be a very inward kind of a process and not sort of taking into consideration where you are in terms of the market? How are you really performing? Is there some tangible value to what you're adding into the market ecosystem? How do you, how do you sort of identify this on a more real-time basis? So I don't think it's insular at all or inward looking at all. But even if it were, I think it makes sense because for people to improve and to people to build something meaningful, you first need to try and become a little better every day. I love the power of compounding and humans, uh, all of us are not particularly tuned to understand the beauty of compounding. If all of us just try to get 1% better every day, at the end of the 365th day, you would not imagine how much change you have enabled together. But um, what happens is that we expect too much to happen in 10 days or a month and too little to change in a year or a decade. So this philosophy is that try and become 1% better, try and uh, focus on what you truly care about uh, rather than constantly comparing yourself with the latest social media trend or this, uh, you know, new buzzwords and catchphrases that come out. So I have seen people at Microsoft, at uh, um, other talk organizations and leading nonprofits, the people who are focused on following their own curiosity, building a tribe of mentors, building a tribe of peers who are supportive and um, just focusing a lot more on improving themselves than proving to the world that they are particularly hard ones who long-term succeed. I've seen Satya Nadella at Microsoft. He's a great example of somebody who's built a category of one with an infinite mindset. And he's changed the culture of the organization in a way that it has retained stuff that made it successful. And it has also let go of things that weren't working, which is why his book Hit Refresh is something that I constantly recommend on Network Capital. And they are you know, successful leaders, successful companies. They become what they become because they understand what they truly bring to the world, the problem that it brings, uh, the problem that it solves, and then attempts to get better. Microsoft cannot be better at app, better than Apple playing Apple's game. And Apple cannot be better than Microsoft playing Microsoft's game. So everybody, whether it's an entity or an organization, is far better um, you know, playing something where it has a competitive advantage uh, where it is followed by a lot more by curiosity than competition. And yes, competition also has a role. Competition sparks innovation, but uh, there is a right time and a right stage for it. And we can, again, discuss that uh, another time perhaps. So Warren Buffett often talks about uh, companies that have moat in them, right? That's what he invests in. Um, And we are talking now at an individual level where we are building a moat for ourselves, a USP for ourselves, a category of one for ourselves. And when I sort of reflect back to the point that we just mentioned about following your curiosity and especially in the nonprofit space you mentioned Mm -hmm. right now, I I can think of uh, as a fellow, I was at Teach for India and uh, I particularly remember Shaheen talking about this space, Mm -hmm. following your curiosity, following your passion. And that really resonated a lot back then Mm -hmm. and sort of is, is, is the same right now, because even with podcasting, podcasting is relatively a new space in the country. Uh, yeah. A lot of things are still 
to uh, form and crystallize but just yeah. following the curiosity because i love the medium so much i'm able to explore so much and yeah. get guests like you and and democratize information yeah. inspiration it really sort of adds value to the ecosystem yeah. which goes back yeah. to the point which you mentioned getting better step by step the 1% bit are you are you able to use this concept in your daily routine the 1% concept how do you sort of use this and follow your curiosity when i mess up i try and accept that i messed up and try and mess up less when i try and uh, do good things i don't jump in joy and say that you know what now i've written the book now i've written that article you know if you speak in hindi i'll tell you that uh, one of the phrases that meant the most to me was manzil pe pahunche to manzil badha de when you reach the goal push it further and i think that's something that i live by my mom mom taught this to me early on and uh, on a daily basis i try and uh, read and write diligently no matter how difficult the day has been and i try and be there for others as much as possible so network capital is a is a subscription based company so we have a few hundred thousand community members out of that a few thousand are monthly paying subscribers a few thousand take our cohort based fellowships and courses i just try and make sure that um, i'm able to learn with and from them and i just measure my progress and the company's progress on is it better than it was yesterday yes or not if the answer is yes i'm on the right track if the answer is no that means i need to reflect on it and a useful mental model here that i find is pain plus reflection equal to progress so what that means is that um, whenever you done something whether it's good or bad pain usually comes from things when you messed up reflect on that see what kind of growth you can enable by following such a process and um, i try and do that as well you mentioned uh, something about to that effect which is equal to success i think that's by ray dalio right plus hedge fund investor exactly. it's pain plus yeah. reflection equal to progress he's a hedge fund manager the founder of bridgewater and uh, i use that uh, you know in my company i use that as a person uh, when i mess up or i make a mistake i try and reflect on that and um, see how i can compound myself from that lovely so you also mentioned something about radical honesty um, yeah. and and how is it that you practice it on a daily basis with your team at network capital so we have something called office hours on network capital where for 3 uh, hours every day our monthly subscribers monthly paying subscribers call and uh, we have fairly radically honest conversations about uh, you know things that uh, they want to discuss about business or work or careers or career confusion and at that time i want to do two things one i want to make sure that it's a safe space because uh, if there is radical candor and it is aggressive that is just like you know brutality inflicted on another person no person deserves that but radical candor plus kindness especially when the other person knows that you you have his or her back that's the kind of mentorship and educational space that all of us need to strive for and i personally try to create that combination of radical candor and a safe space for uh, my community members on network capital so building this organization uh, what's the full time team that you have right now as you know so i've been uh, building network capital full time now for about a year but as a movement as a as something as a passion project i've been doing this for 5 years 
So we are now in 112 countries. We now have uh, a few hundred thousand community members without spending a single dollar on sales or marketing. Um, in terms of the team, uh, we have uh, a few people full time on tech, a few people on community, plus a very very large number of uh, professionals who have been supporting us uh, from the beginning. So they also uh, volunteer their time, they volunteer their skill, uh, they enable other people who can't afford network capital, um, you know, get access to our features. So if you look at the full-time staff, it's still very lean, but a larger tribe of uh, supporters, both in terms of capital as well as in terms of uh, um, people who offer strategic help. That's very high, and I think that's something that I take immense pride on, because you know, I mean, it's been less than a year since I've been doing it full time, and it feels like uh, a network capital has been alive forever. It's all thanks to the people who volunteered their time and you know enabled network capital through scholarships for other people. Interesting. So you're a solo founder at Network Capital, I believe. Yeah. Right. I'm so I'm curious to understand what are some solo founder struggles that you've been through, if at all you've been through any. So um, you have to manage yourself, whether it's a good day or a bad day. Um, you have to make sure that uh, um, you have the discipline and the rigor. And uh, I've consciously built network capital to be very international. Again, um, you know, any like INSEAD does that to you. So to do that, I've had to manage many time zones many different cultures, many different languages. But what has been helpful is that uh, I have many people who are like co-founders, like my head of product. Uh, she's done an incredible job of shaping the company product, shaping uh, digitalnetworkcapital.tv, shaping uh, the culture, managing um, the partnership that we have with Neeti Aayog, which uh, enables mentorship for two and a half million Indian children and then there are other people who are also like, you know, technically their primary designation is not that of a co-founder, but they have been inordinately helpful. This uh, invisible tribe of supporters that we have, I consider all of them as co-founders. And, um, you know, who knows in future, in future, they might, uh, their primary identity might be that of a co-founder, but uh, I definitely treat them as one. But just to make sure that uh, our listeners have tangible stuff to take away from every question, self-discipline is not easy. In the pandemic, you got to force yourself to, um, to live by the rules. Some days are going to be hard, but you have to push through. And um, you have to maybe be accountable to your community every single day. Uh, you as a leader cannot show up uh, uh, not having done enough thinking. But if at all, there are days where uh, you've not been able to manage stuff and things got out of hand or there are some challenges that are unavoidable, then you have to have that trust with your team and your community so that they understand. You mentioned something about discipline. Um, and yeah. what is your writing discipline? What is your writing routine? You know, Hardik, a network capital subscribers get a newsletter every day and, uh, I do write for Harvard Business Review, World Economic Forum, and a few other um, you know, major international publications. So I do need to write uh, about a thousand words a day, the average. And uh, to do that, 
I believe that one is to 10 is a decent ratio. So you read about 10, 12,000 words a day and write about a thousand. I try and keep this particular ratio in mind. It's not intuitive, by the way. I don't set a clock and say, let me write thousand words or let me read 10,000, 15,000 words. But I analyze or I reflect upon my writing and thinking process a fair bit. And as you know, like uh, Seductive Illusion of Hard Work got published last year. Uh, it did well in the market, thankfully. So writing that also taught me the power of discipline. And uh, now that my next book is being completed, um, it's, it's just that anybody who sits down and, you know, commits to the art of writing as well as the craft of writing can. I believe that every person on the planet is a writer. They may not consider themselves as a good writer or great writer, but I love what one of my professors told me that anytime you feel that I am not good, just add the word yet. So for mm. anyone listening, I know that there is a writer in you. You may not feel some days that you're, you're there, but just tell yourself, I'm not a good writer yet. Try and become 0.1% better. Interesting. Do you, do you set like a morning time or an afternoon time, evening time, or, you know, secluded in the room? Uh, how does it really look like? You use an app maybe? Uh, or just like a Microsoft Word document, text, what do you use? You know, I believe in the power of artificial deadlines a lot. So I love uh, creating these deadlines for myself. Now, I also realize that I work best in, in chaos. So in about 50 days, I do need to submit the completed draft of my next book, which is on the passion economy and side hustle revolution. So now I need to work backwards and get it done. In about 20 days, I have to submit my next Harvard Business Review article. In a few hours, the newsletter for tomorrow on Network Capital needs to go out. So none of these deadlines can be forced. Like nobody can force me to do the, any of these things. But these deadlines help create the constraints that are required for uh, effective writing. So I don't have too many apps, although some I do, but uh, I do benefit a ton from creating artificial deadlines. Interesting. Interesting. So when it comes to writing this book or when the one that you're already writing, um, mm -hmm. do you do you get feedback while you're writing with other people that you trust in? Or is it just a very solitary process till the time the manuscript is ready and then you sort of push it out? How does it work for you? You know, I um, I love uh, I love software and I love writers. What's interesting is these days the writers and softwares, these two worlds are coming together. So I do take feedback from network capital community members all the time. My mom, mother is a, uh, is a very well-known poet. So she's been like a mentor of sorts for me for a very long time for writing and other things. My brother um, and like a, a whole bunch of family members um, have, you know, have helped. And then I constantly iterate with the community. So today's newsletter, for example, a longer version of that appears in the book as well. Now, a lot of people will read that newsletter and our subscribers will write with their comments. Based on their comments, I tweak it. So writing can be a solitary process, but a community sort of makes sure that one, you're accountable to and second, gives you the gift of feedback.
but at least that's my process a lot of others try to carve time out uh, a few months of deep work cut off from everything um as an entrepreneur i can't do that uh, so i do need to show up every day for my community and i like to keep my community involved in uh, the way you know my writing happens when you're managing these multiple pursuits utkarsh mm-hmm. um is there is there any systems thinking to this uh, any habits stacking around your pivotal habits H- how do you think about this or are there any systems that you put in place for yourself the system is that of uh, thinking from first principles so we one of my most important projects for 2021 has been the network capital school for kids so we are trying to teach first principles thinking critical thinking reasoning public speaking writing to students around the world in the age group of 8 to 17 this is a really high responsibility job to make sure that uh, all kids are first principle thinkers you yourself have to be a pretty good first principles thinker as well so i have tried to rethink almost every opinion that i hold dear to my heart and 2021 has been good for all of us because it has forced us to go in directions where we wouldn't have gone otherwise and then you know revisit some of our assumptions so i ask love to ask myself uh the five whys for every opinion that i have i love to surround myself with a challenger network people who will challenge my views and honestly beat me in arguments so that i can you know so that i can stress test my opinions i don't think i'm like you know nobody's ever perfect and nobody's ever there it's a journey first principles thinking but there are people who are just better systems thinkers uh, better first principles thinkers so yeah basically surround yourself who with people who are you know who you respect in terms of the way they think and read and uh, just uh, compound your way to success you will not become a better systems thinker tomorrow but if you just like are very intentional about it on a daily basis at the end of the 365th day you will not believe the person you've become if you're very serious about it so i agree with you i think one of the things that i reflect back on is uh, people often talk about is is fitness fitness is like a very pivotal habit for them it's it's a yeah. small thing that you do every single day but but over a period of time whether that's 6 months or a year the shape the change is very visible but on a day to day basis that's not uh, similar i believe would be with writing you do not know how good you are until you've spent significant number of hours and days you know uh, finessing your craft do you yeah. also look at do you also look at this uh, the one step process or 1% thinking also in terms of relationship building absolutely but it's personal relationships friendships mentor mentee relationships teachers coming and teaching all of these relationships compound over a period of time so this would work essentially really well in in a case particularly as good as yours because uh, as an entrepreneur uh, there are multiple touch points that is one i also believe and i would love to get a perspective on this that did the background add as a leverage for you what would that mean is the the wharton background the insiad background the young india fellowship uh, microsoft does is that leverage because i believe most of the people do not have the pedigree uh, would not have the nuances of understanding this kind of relationship and building them uh, how do you think this can be useful if they do not come with uh, the illustrious background that you have or the networks that you already have 
Yeah. You know, I'm trying to create a world where uh, your pedigree doesn't define you, but what you, you know, how you empower others define you. So yes, like to sh- the short answer to your question is that does INSEAD, Wharton, Oxford, Microsoft, Harvard Business Review, ABCD, all these things, do they help? 100%. And did they help big time in, at the start? Of course. But uh, as we are observing in the 21st century, both education and employment are, they, are being unbundled. So we're reaching a space where the output of your work can be a lot more impactful than a degree or a certificate or a stamp, which you know many people say are insurance policy. Um, if you wrote an inspirational blog, say David Perel is a very prominent blogger, uh, Shane Parrish from Farnham Street. Uh, these are people who's, uh, um, who basically built in public and using podcasts, newsletters, um, tweets and Facebook posts and YouTube videos, they have uh, leveraged something, their specific knowledge, something that uh, you know can be learned but can't be taught, and use the modern media to disseminate it. So I want to create or help create that kind of world where uh, networks are available for everybody, not only for a certain kind of people. So when it comes to building this organization and when it comes to connecting people, one of the things that I've often observed is people tend to have a holding mentality for a lack of a better word. They would like to keep the relationships because they've built it obviously with a lot of hard work and a lot of trust. Uh, It's generally difficult for people to introduce someone to someone else. Um, how comfortable are you doing this? That's part one of the question. And part two is that if you feel that that has been such a crucial thing in terms of building network capital, how Mm. can then this be useful in terms of actual tactical advice that people can carry back? So almost all success that network capital has, has come from making other people successful. So if we start making other people successful, network capital will just become like any other organization, right? And if you study the most successful people in the world, they usually are a lot more focused on adding specific value. Adam Grant, the professor, calls it uh, a category of givers. But givers also burn out often. So you need to be able to be a giver, which adds specific value, but is also be able to be there for himself or herself. So I'm very happy to make introduction with absolutely anybody I know. If I see that the person has done homework and uh, it is a win-win for both people. So I look at uh, uh, any kind of relationship or introduction in a two-by-two. So win-win, win-lose, lose-lose, lose-win. So I love relationships which are win-win. But, uh, you know, if somebody mails me today, hey, can you please introduce me to Nobel laureate Robert Schiller, full stop, with no explanation, no thought process, no explanation of how it will be a win-win for the person who's introducing, uh, oh, sorry, the, the, that person and Robert Schiller, then, you know, I will ask for more information, saying that, hey, sure, tell me more. How, like, how would you create a win-win for yourself and for Robert? And if that happens, absolutely. So this sounds almost like an altruistic line of thinking. Is that, is that what it is? 
it uh, i think there is uh, an element of idealism yes um but it's also very useful practical advice so you know anybody who achieves success or fame or you know, becomes popular in the online world typically has a lot more demand than supply so the way to you know to figure out and to make this better is to look at everything in terms of uh, is this going to make the other person more successful or not instead of asking what can i get out of it you should think about you know what's your contribution capital what can you add to that person um whenever i say yes to an opportunity uh, i'm still like you know like uh, just like you a young professional trying to figure things out but uh, usually i focus a lot more on what can i do to make the other person accomplish his or her goals than i can do for myself because you know my goals on a daily basis are just one every day i wake up i set one major goal for myself i'm you know chasing that very goal every single day i read one of the articles uh, i think long back uh, which i believe was in a world economic forum article they mentioned mm-hmm. that individuals will have multiple careers over a lifetime yeah. and yeah. Uh, this would essentially also mean that up until the age of 30 or 35 you would have ended up changing some four five kinds of roles and probably yeah. for other people maybe more than that the the idea basis of this is that maybe they haven't figured out what they essentially wanted that is point number one of looking at it or second would be that interests and and aspirations evolve over a period of time and and uh, it's it's difficult to sort of pin down what that famous question of what would you like to be 5 years hence and 10 years hence mm-hmm. um difficult to answer that question but when it comes to these many number of careers that someone would have and need to reinvent do you feel that it's probably also it comes with a package of not having depth in one particular kind of role over a period of time just let me tell you about portfolio of careers so in the 21st century people will have um multiple careers and multiple identities they can happen at the same time and they can happen in phases so you know let's look at my career right i studied engineering and worked in consulting then non profit then studied liberal arts philosophy politics economics etc then went for my mba then worked in tech then started a passion project then went to oxford for shifting uh then made that passion project my full time job in the meanwhile there was some bollywood lots of theater living in 20 countries traveling to 80 countries and it always happened from the age group of 20 to 30 so i've had like 10 crazy adventurous years in my life which have taught me a lot about i think myself uh and you know some about the world as well and my career has like gone from one space to the other it doesn't mean that i'm randomly moving around i'm essentially following my curiosity I've always tried to do something that piqued my interest. So whether it was acting in Bollywood or building a company or working uh, at Microsoft, going to Davos, like all of these things fulfill some aspect of my curiosity. And I just think that in the 21st century, people will be able to do that even more at scale. All of us uh, will be able to look at, oh, what are the skills that I have? What are the curiosities that I have? And then what are the unmet of market opportunities that we have? There are so many podcasters these days whose day job is something else. Nobody knows what people like Danko will be doing ten years from now. Perhaps they'll become philosophy professors. Perhaps they'll start their own university. Perhaps uh, you know they'll become TikTok stars, creating you know one-minute philosophical content, that kind of stuff. So perhaps they'll be doing something completely different. Perhaps they'll become a monk. 
um, or perhaps in a in in twelve months they'll all do all of these things in three months chunks. So this disruption that is happening in the education space, in the skilling space, in the way people define their relationship with work, this is very real. This is happening as we speak. Nobody really knows what it will finally look like, but it's safe to say it will be very different from anything that we we can visualize or imagine. So generally, a lot of meaningful pursuits are uh, accomplished, or they seem a little more meaningful when you have people rallying around you, because they do not have a probably the bandwidth or the resources to go it all alone. That could be one thing, and also because when there is influx of interesting ideas, uh, the overall final output seems a whole lot more colorful. Now, mm-hmm. for a startup, for a startup with someone who doesn't have. Uh, a lot of leverage right how mm. would you recommend or what steps would you recommend someone to build a community around either an idea that they have the personality that they are what would be your thoughts and tactical level stuff yeah i mean uh, we uh, we run something called network capital community building fellowship so that will obviously uh, you know be one way to go and then there are many other programs that people can go about uh, joining as well and what that means is that uh, this trend of cohort-based courses online is uh, is happening big time. Of course, Network Capital does that, but uh, there are companies like Maven, for example, they do that. There is uh, Disco, another company that has started doing it. There are people who teach community building, like Greg Eisenhower. So a lot of these people who uh, who've mastered this craft are now available. Uh, to share that knowledge at scale. So find a few people who've done that, join their cohort-based programs. It's a lot about creating and learning from your peers and figuring out a way to get to 1,000 community members who absolutely love what you're building. Lovely. That is uh, hopefully valuable to our listeners and some valuable takeaways there. Utkash, it's been such a pleasure talking to you and and understanding how network capital is built, how you operate. Thanks so much for doing this. It's my pleasure. All the best for you. And uh, I really look forward to many more interesting sessions and hearing other entrepreneurs and creators share their points of view. Thanks so much for hosting me. If you enjoyed this episode of Jamsters, please make sure you subscribe to EPLog Media and all major podcasting platforms such as Spotify, GeoSavan, Ghana, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, among many others for upcoming episodes. You know, I love listening from each one of you. So please make sure you share this podcast with your friends and family and your colleagues. And please make sure to drop a comment on Apple Podcasts if you're listening there. And also, if you're listening on EPLog Media, they've recently launched a feature where you can comment on the particular episode too. Your support is my fuel. You can connect with me on Instagram at the rate Hardik or on LinkedIn too. Catch you on the other episode.